Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This week in the Alpha series, we turn our attention to what is the Bible. For many people, they think a Bible, that is so dull, it's so boring, it's full of contradictions. It is just a rule book that has no relevance in 21st century life. But did you know that the Bible is the most popular book in the world? It is the most successful literary creation of all time every year. Over 100 million Bibles are given or sold. So it is the bestseller every year. It was the bestseller last year, and it will be the bestseller next year. If it was put in the bestseller list every week, it would be the Bible. That's why they don't put it in, because it would make the list so boring. What's the bestseller this week? The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. It is the most popular book in the world. It's the most powerful book in the world. One former prime minister of Great Britain described the Bible as highly explosive. The Bible has had a profound impact on my life. There are times in which reading scripture has challenged me and convicted me and changed me, and there are times in which reading scripture has nourished and sustained me in times of difficulty. In the Church of England, as you know, the, the official state religion um, is the official state religion. And so when the king or the queen is coronated, they are handed a Bible with these words. We present you with the book, the most valuable thing which this world affords. But why? Why? Jesus said this, people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus says this, that material things do not satisfy. Even the best human relationships can lead us still spiritually hungry, which can only be satisfied by something spiritual. And Jesus says that the words of God are the primary way in which we are satisfied. And God communicates through us in part through the scriptures. So God has spoken. This is a revelation. Sometimes people say, if there's a God, why doesn't God show himself to us? Why doesn't God reveal himself? And the answer is that he has. God has revealed himself, first of all, in creation just talking to a friend of mine this past week, and we were just marveling at the, um, just how amazing creation is, how, 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 how just beautiful it is, how, how you know, it, it is indescribable when you start to think about um, all the intricacies of, of creation. And so God has revealed himself in creation. That there is a hunger in every human heart that searches for God, but supremely God has revealed himself in a person. We've looked at that. He has revealed himself in Jesus. 
That's the ultimate revelation of God is Jesus. But how do we know about Jesus? Well, we know about Jesus through the words of the New Testament from its witness of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit going forth throughout the whole world. And of course, once we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, the Old Testament is also a book about Jesus. Science is the exploration um, of how God, so science is the exploration of how God has revealed himself in creation. That's what makes science so amazing and so exciting. And theology is the exploration of how God has revealed himself in Jesus, including the Bible. So there is not a conflict between science and faith. In fact, Albert Einstein said this, um, he said, a legitimate conflict between science and religion cannot exist. Without science, without relig- with, religion without science is blind. Science without religion is lame. We need both. Science answers the questions of how and when. And the Bible answers questions of who and why. The Bible is inspired by God. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, that all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's the literal translation of the word inspired. And it's inspired, of course, by God. Now, of course, there were human authors. Over a period of 1,600 years, there were at least 40 authors. There were kings, poor people, Philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, historians, doctors. They wrote different types of literature such as history, poetry, prophecy, and letters. So 100% of this book, the Bible, is written by humans. But it also claims that it is 100% inspired by God. How can that be? There's a story about St. Paul's Cathedral who was built by Sir Christopher Wren, who was one of the greatest English architects of his time. He started at the age of 43 in 1675, and for 36 years the cathedral was built under one architect. It was completed in 1711 when Christopher Wren was 97 years of age. Sir Christopher Wren built... St. Paul's Cathedral, but actually he did not lay a single stone. There were stonemasons, and there were carpenters and builders, and many people who were involved over a long period of time, but Sir Christopher Wren served as the inspiration for it all. And so it is with the Bible. There are many different writers, but there are one architect, one inspiration behind it all, God. Now, that does not mean that there are not difficulties. If you've ever tried reading the Bible, in particular the Old Testament, you have come across things and you go, ooh, that's shocking. There's more moral difficulties, there's historical difficulties, there are are apparent contradiction, there are all kinds of stuff, and you say, well, then how can this be inspired by God? It's a bit like the suffering and love of God. To be a Christian, you have to believe that God loves us. That's the heart of what Christianity is about, God's love. 
But when you look at the world and you see the massive amount of suffering, how can you hold together the love of God and the suffering of the world? How can you hold together the inspiration and the stuff that we read? It's not easy. It's a little bit like a crossword puzzle. You start with the clues and sometimes you come across one that you can't quite figure out. But you don't stop. You move on to the next clue and maybe that clue's a little bit easier. And then you start to fill in the number of clues and that gives you the letters that you needed for the one that you could not figure out, the more difficult ones. And I found that it is like that with the Bible. I have wrestled with stuff in the Bible over the years and it's not that the difficulties don't stay. I haven't finished the crossword puzzle yet. There are still things in the Bible that I struggle with but I would encourage you to hold on, to believe that it is inspired by God and to wrestle with the difficulties. And as always, remember, Jesus is the interpretive key. If it does not fit with Jesus, we have to say, well, how are we going to interpret this? Because Jesus is supreme love. And we know that he is the supreme revelation of God. And if you want to know what God is like, God is like Jesus. It's 100% inspired and it's authoritative. Paul goes on to say it like this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. In other words, it's our authority for what we believe and how we live. And Jesus summed it up in this really simple thing. God loves you. Love God, love your neighbor. Presiding Bishop Curry oftentimes adds in another reminder there that while we're at it, why don't we love ourselves too? But then it's full of all sorts of practical wisdom, advice, guidelines of how we live. It gives us uh, boundaries. Sometimes people say, oh, it's just a rule book. I really don't want a rule book. It takes away my freedom. If I follow this, I'll lose my freedom but actually, we need rules. We need boundaries. There was a story about, um, that um, uh, someone tells about uh, playing football over in England. Of course, we call that soccer. But um, the, the story goes that when this person's son was eight years old, he used to play in these football games uh, with a whole bunch of his friends. They were coached by this guy by the name of Andy Busk. And what happened was at the end of one term, they were going to have a celebration event. End of, two term, end of a term and two teams were going to turn up there. Andy was going to referee and lots of parents showed up. Because it was only 2.30 in the afternoon, it was mostly mothers. And I arrived, this person arrives and Andy Busk had not turned up. So they looked for a referee and no one volunteered. So they put, um, they, they put um, him into that place. The trouble was is that this person really knew nothing about football, didn't know the rules, and didn't know any of the names. He knew his own son's name, but didn't know any of the other names. There were no boundaries there. There were no football pitches going on. So we got some jumpers for goalposts and we set up. See, this is a British story. 
I don't have a whistle. So when the people said the ball was out, the person says, I didn't know whether it was out or whether it was not out. Then people would shout, foul. I didn't know if it was a foul. And so I just said, well, play on. And eventually, in this, and, and he says this is a true story, that there were about three small by, boys lying injured on the ground. It looked like a battlefield. At that moment, much to my relief, Andy Busk finally shows up. He had his whistle. He blew his whistle. He put boys into teams. He knew their names. He knew the rules. He knew what the boundaries were. And finally, they had a great game. The question is, he asks, were they more free when there was no one in charge, where there were no rules, or were they actually more free when there were someone was in charge and there were boundaries? True freedom comes when we know that God is in control and that there are boundaries. But you know, if children grow up without boundaries, they're insecure and they're unhappy. It's the same with us. The boundaries are given to us out of love. God didn't say, you shall not murder because he wanted to ruin our fun. He didn't say, oh, don't commit adultery because he's a spoil sport. He doesn't want people to get heard. One person said it like this, I don't read the Bible because it interferes with my work. Well, what is your work, someone said. He says, well, I'm a pickpocket. And this is God's love for us. He has given us this book. It is inspired by God. It is authoritative. Secondly, this, God speaks relationship. So first we talked about how God speaks revelation, and now we turn to God speaking relationship. The Bible is like a love letter from God. When you get a letter from someone you love, you treasure the letter, not because of the letter, not because of the things that are in it, it's because of the person who wrote it. It's the same with the Bible. This book in and of itself is nothing. It's only something because it is inspired by God and because God wants to be in relationship with you. God wants to speak to you. Jesus said this, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify me, he says. The book is about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have this life. The whole point of this book is so that we can become friends of Jesus in a relationship with him. It's the purpose. The book itself is a means to an end. Have you ever read your car manual? Suppose you got a new car and... Um, you go outside and you open up the car manual and, and you went, wow, what a great book this is. And you start studying it and you underline your felt pen with bits that you find are interesting, how to figure out what the tire pressure is and how to use the turn signal. And you think, oh, this is such a great book. You know, we should learn this by heart. I, I learned certain, you, know, you can learn sections of it by heart. And maybe some other people who, who love the same kind of car that you had to come together and, and, and suddenly you, you join together and you talk about your car and, and the different aspects about it, what you love and what's great about it. Maybe you own a Toyota and you say, well, to really understand the car, I need to learn Japanese. 
The point of the manual is not the manual. The point of the manual is to drive the car. And that this book, the point of Holy Scripture, is for you to have a relationship with Jesus. And this is how faith comes. We look before at this verse. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. If you say, I want to have, the, have faith, read scripture. In particular, I would recommend reading John's gospel. And we have copies of just John's gospel. If you would like to read it, um, we will be glad to send one to you. Because John says at the end of, this gospel, of his gospel that these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. In other words, he says the whole point that I have written this gospel is so that you can have faith, believing, and through this faith, you can have life. Earl Smith was a man who had far too much money. He was a cousin of Fred Smith, um, who... Uh, was the founder of FedEx. And uh, by the age of 30, Earl had taken so many drugs that he ended up in a hospital really sick from, from all these drugs. And while he was in the hospital, somebody came to visit him and gave him a New Testament. He thought, this is great. It's very thin paper, perfect for rolling joints. And he rolled his way through Matthew, and he rolled his way through Mark and Luke. Eventually, he got to John's gospel, and then Earl started reading it. And through reading John's gospel, he came to believe in Jesus, and he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. He was being looked after by a psychologist and it called Tony. She was a beautiful woman, a model, a highly intelligent person, charming, but she was mystified because here was Earl, who was this drug addict, and suddenly he had this peace. He had this joy. He had this love in his life, and she said, I don't understand. You are a total mess, yet you seem to be at such peace. Why? So he led her, so he, he turned to John's gospel and, and shared about how it had transformed his life and that through it, he came to believe. Over the last 40 years that I've been a Christian, um, I have turned to scripture so many times. Not because I have to, but because I love it. It's just like, why do I have breakfast every day? Because I like breakfast. I don't want to miss breakfast, as you can tell. And it's the same with reading the Bible. I read it because I don't want to miss it. To me, it is spiritual food for the day. Rick Warren says this, that reading the Bible generates life. It produces change. It changes hurts. It builds character. It transforms circumstances. It imparts joy. And it overcomes adversity. It defeats temptation and it infuses hope. It releases power and it cleanses the mind. Which brings me to point number three. How do we hear God speak through the Bible? So how do we hear God speak to us? Well, I suggest a plan. Time is our greatest possession. We can get more money, but we can never have more time. Set aside some time. Start with 15 minutes a day. 
And then Jesus always said that place was important. Find a solitary place. Jesus says, I have a solitary place that I go to. And likewise, we could go find a place where we can spend some time alone with God hearing it. Maybe it's sitting outside with a cup of coffee. Maybe, um, you know, it, it's, it's get up a little bit earlier. And before you get going in, in, in the day, you, you just spend some time reading it. But find a pattern for reading. Whatever you do, find a pattern for reading it. Years ago, you know, people, it was popular. You could read through a one-year Bible and you could, you know, try to get it done. And if that works for you, great. Just the point is, is that you begin to work through it. It's a challenge. It really is. When you uh, want to commit to reading the Bible, I've talked to so many people who begin reading it and, and you know, they start in Genesis and, and, and all of a sudden they run into this begat that and this person begat this and they begat that and all of a sudden they're begatting and forgetting why this was important. So have a guide with it. There are lots of resources out there to help you get through the tough and confusing and sometimes boring parts of Holy Scripture. But if you start reading it, if you start reading it, you can read through it in a whole year, and I will promise you that it will enliven your life and your faith and your relationship with God. Years ago, I was in um, kind of a point of despair in my spiritual life. I was kind of going through a lot of spiritual wrestling and worry and confusion. I wasn't sure what I believed. I wasn't sure if God was real, if I could really trust anything. I became a skeptic. One day I was sitting and reading um, a portion of the prophet Isaiah, and it was a portion of scripture that sounded very much like what Jesus said. And as I began to look in throughout that book, there were lots of moments that talked about moral living, and there was an aha moment for me in which I believe that God spoke to me through those scriptures, which made me realize that Jesus was more than a spiritual teacher. There is a reason why for 2,000 years people have followed this particular person. Because there is something unique and powerful and beautiful and wonderful about Jesus. But it was in the deepest, darkest times of my life that I began to engage those stories that God spoke to me and said there is more to life. You can have hope. You can trust. You can believe. So as you start reading a scripture, start with the Gospel of John and bring it with this question. What is it that God is trying to speak to you? Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org. And peace be with you.